0: Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, senior pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's word. Aren't you glad he did? Amen, be seated. Yeah, give the Lord a hand. He did it. It's his work of redemption his work of redemption for us, well, I missed being here last week and having the opportunity to share the word with you, so i 'm excited to be able to be back and uh, let me just tell you uh, don 't I look good in a suit <laughs> I tell you so I uh, decided if i if I bought one for a wedding, I might as well wear it on Sunday once in a while, so uh, no we, we dress up for lord 's Supper and uh, so don 't expect this next sunday amen so. Take your copy of God's Word and begin to find Peter's little epistle of 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I was talking about redemption a little bit this morning as we think about the Lord's table. The Lord's table is all about redemption. It's about us remembering what Jesus has done for us. When we come to this time of celebrating the Lord's table, we ought to, in our minds, begin to think back, to the day that he saved our souls. Do you remember that day? I remember that day when I got saved. It was a, actually, I just had a spiritual birthday. It was December 31st, uh, 1984, when I came to know the Lord. And uh, I, I realized how wretched of a sinner I was. And I realized how great of a savior he is. And uh, he rescued me and saved me. And uh, I am so thankful that I now have the privilege of serving him and get to preach his awesome truth every week. It's just an amazing thing that he would trust me, of all people, to do that. Uh, I don't know why he would, but anyway, uh, he does, and I'm thankful for that. And uh, this morning, I want us to sort of think about your day of salvation in regard to the word redemption. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 13, just so you get a full context, but we're only going to talk about two verses, so they'll be on the screen, but uh, I want you to hear the context of what Peter is preaching. He says in verse 13, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you by... By the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is one day you and I are going to ultimately be completely glorified. We're going to be completely saved from sin once for all forever in heaven at glorification. I'm looking forward to that day. I won't have to struggle with the flesh anymore. But in the meantime, he says that the struggle, the fight that we have, he says to gird up the loins of our mind. That is all the loose ends of our thoughts. Because listen, sin begins in the heart which is the seat of the thought in the emotions. And so there's where sin begins. So he says, we need to gird up the loins of right. We need to keep everything wrapped up. He said, because Jesus is coming back, he's going to ultimately redeem us. Verse 14, therefore do what? Live as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance. So don't go back living like you used to live. Jesus redeemed you and saved you from those things. Don't go back and live that way anymore. You don't have to, amen? You're not obligated to anymore. And he says in verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. So we need to be holy like Jesus is. There he says, verse 16, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, that is you follow call on God, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, Conduct yourselves, he says, throughout the time of your stay here in fear. I don't know how much more time God's gonna give me. I don't know. I wrote really up, the men in my family all seem to die somewhere around early 70s. Uh, some in their 60s. So if that's the case, I may have maybe 20 years left in me. I don't know. But you know, the reality is I can go home and I can do like my cousin did last week. His wife found him just dead as a doornail. He's supposed to be going to the gym, so he exercise doesn't help. <laughs> He's supposed to be going to the gym. And uh, she, found, she found him at home, 55 years old. I don't know how much time God has given me, but I'll tell you what God does expect of me in the time I do have. He says that we ought to live that time in reverence, in fear, in awe, in respect, in glorifying and giving God glory through the way that I conduct myself as long as I'm continuing to be here. And sometimes... I miserably fail at that. He says that in verse 17 then, to do that your time of stay here in fear. Verse 18 is where we're going to camp this morning. He says, knowing, here's the motivation for godly living. Here's the, here's the power for godly living. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your pointless or aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. How is it that I can live a life that glorifies God and demonstrates that I love him and honor him? I go back to the cross. I go back to the day of redemption. I go back to the day in 1984, that evening when The preacher at the First Baptist Church of Browns Mills, New Jersey, was preaching about giving your life in dedication to the Lord through Jesus Christ. Believe it or not, Marshall, I found Jesus in New Jersey. Amen? And he radically transformed my life and began to do something in me that I could not do for myself. And we're going to talk more about that in just a few moments but I want to camp on that word redemption. I want you to think about redemption in this term. First of all, I want to define it for you. What is redemption? Redemption is simply in outside the Bible, inside the Bible, the word was just meaning to purchase or to redeem back something. It was used oftentimes about redeeming someone who was a slave. That is that A slave in the law of Moses could be released and be set free if there was a price that was paid for that freedom. And even in the slave market of Rome, there would be this opportunity for a slave to be bought and to be set free. And that's what the word means. It means that somebody has been held captive, whether it be a slave, whether it be a a prisoner in prison, or whether it be a hostage who was taken by some enemies, The word redemption had everything to do with a price being paid to release them. When I think about my salvation, I think about what Jesus has done for me in redemption. Jesus bought me out of the marketplace of slavery to sin. See, ladies and gentlemen, all of us in this room, we were born with the same disease. We're infected by the same thing. And it's called sin. See, see we, don't, we don't do bad things because, you know, or excuse me, we don't do bad things that makes us the sinner. We, we do bad things because we are the sinner. It, it is the nature in which you and I are born with. It is, it is the nature that Paul describes in the beginning of Romans when he says, there is no one who seeks after God. No one, he says. It's, just, it's the same words that, that we find in the Scripture Listen, just in the text that was read during the song service, talking about Jesus coming and being our redemption. Why? Because all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one, listen, listen to what it says, has turned to his own way. Listen, till Jesus radically transforms, till, till the Holy Spirit comes and he invades a heart, we're living for ourselves. Amen? We're caught in that habitual godless cycle of living. And and listen how Peter goes on to describe it. He talks about defining this word of redemption, but then he talks about the purpose. Why do we need redemption? Because notice what he says in verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed, that is bought back with corruptible things. And by the way, those corruptible things he describes for us are very valuable in the eyes of men. Notice the text. You were not redeemed with corruptible things like Silver and gold. What, Peter? What are you talking about? Peter, do you not understand the value of money? Do you not understand that money is power? We, We tell kids that all the time. Go to school, do good in school. Go to college, do good in college. Why? So you can graduate from college, you can get a good job, and you can have money, because money equals success. Money equals power. Money equals happiness. And this is the cycle in which we teach our kids. Is there anything wrong with making good money? No, certainly not. But listen, Christian parent, you ought to be teaching your kids to do those things, but you ought to tell them not to rely on those things. Why? Because their reliance ought to be upon Jesus and He alone. Why? Because He is the giver of eternal life. He is the giver where they're going to be spending all of their eternity. They're going to be here this long where they're going to be in eternity forever. And we can teach our kids to be successful and go to college and be doctors and lawyers. And they can be, you know, excellent commanders and colonels and all that. But listen, let me tell you something. If they die without Jesus, you failed. You hear me? They You have failed as a parent. Our responsibility is to preach Jesus. Live Jesus before them. That's our responsibility and our goal. Amen. <clears throat> and so when we begin to think about why do we need redemption? Why do we need this purchasing? Why do we need to be bought back? Well, notice how he calls it. I would define it generically as sin, right? We're all caught in sin. But notice how Peter describes it in that verse 18. He says that you were not redeemed with the silver and this gold, <laughs> that, by the way, is precious and valuable in the commodity of, of the day. But when it comes to salvation, there's no comparison. He says, so you weren't redeemed by those things. He says, no, no, from your aimless conduct, we were living a life of pointlessness. See, isn't that sort of, I mean, I don't know how, I don't know how you look at that, but when I first read those words, I sort of want to just like, whoa, 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 wait, 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 time, time. My life's not pointless. I had a purpose and a plan. I had some things I wanted to do. Uh, and so I, I thought, I'm going to set out on that. That's what I'm going to do. And I, I'm going to be successful. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And so we look at that and we say, well, I don't know. It was, was it aimless? Well, let me tell you something. Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 26, what will a man gain? if He gains a whole world yet loses his soul. See, before Jesus, I was living my life for myself to be for myself. To, to be comfortable, to do what I wanted to do. I mean, that's what we all do anyway, right? People, I've learned a long time ago as a pastor, people are going to do what people want to do. There ain't nothing I can do about that, all right? I used to fret and worry about it. As a young pastor, i say, oh, how do I get these people to change? How do I change their mindset, their hearts, whatever? I can't change anybody, okay? If people are who they are. And Jesus touches you, then he'll make you something different than what you are, okay? I know that because he made me something different than I was. I was a heathen. I, I, I used vulgar language, I, I looked at vulgar things, I uh, didn't treat relationships right. I, I know what I was until Jesus intervened in my life. And I know that he made me different, I'm, I'm not that person that I was. And I'm thank, thankful to God that he saved me at a young age and kept me from prison. Thank you, Lord, <laughs> uh, because uh, I, I was not a very good feller. But he says he saved saved us, listen, from this aimless lifestyle that was unprofitable. But where did we learn it? Notice the text. You inherited it. You got it from your fathers. You say, oh, my my dad's a good guy. Well, hey, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that Paul is writing to a Jewish dispersion of people. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, guys, you're living your life in futility, Why are you you living your life that way? Because you are without Christ. And then he says, the reason when you're without Christ is because you had this teaching that you've been following. It's called the law. And they were convinced they didn't need Jesus. They just needed this tradition. By the time Jesus comes on the scene, you realize 460 oral traditions or written traditions that were given And so, Jesus, what does he have to do? Jesus begins to dismantle their thinking. And so, Jesus, right, if you go to the Sermon on the Mount, that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. Jesus starts off by talking about, blessed are. And he begins to sort of counteract what the law has been teaching, what they've been teaching as Pharisees. And then you go on and he says these words in chapter 6 You've heard it's been written but I say unto you. See, Jesus says, listen, you, you've been listening to these oral traditions. You, know, you, you you said it's been told to you, it's been written. Let me tell you something, that's a lie. Let me give you the truth. And he inserts the truth. So Peter, obviously following Jesus this time, writes to us and says, hey guys, God has saved us from our aimless conduct. That is that we were living a life of futileness, of futility. We were living a life that was gonna lead to a brick wall, separate from God, And what happened? Jesus intervened. He came and he did that for us. Why? Because we knew no better. Why did we know any better? Because we were just following what everybody else before us has been following. And yet Jesus comes and he changes all of that. I mean, it's just amazing to me what what the Lord has done for us. I mean, this futility, listen to how Paul describes it. He says in Romans 3.23, you know it well, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And to think about this, do you realize that this is the worst news you can ever hear? Because when, when you think about all of us sinning, There's nothing we could do about that. That is, there's not enough work I can do to change that situation, not enough money I can give to change that situation. Listen, there is not enough sermons I can preach to change that situation. There is not enough sermons you can listen to to change that situation. Do you understand me? Listen to me. There is nothing you can do. If you are without Jesus, you are without hope. Why? Paul says, Romans 5, 6, For when we were still without strength, it is when I could do nothing. It was when I was helpless. It was when I was separate. It was with, when I was without hope that Jesus found me in New Jersey and saved me. Amen? And he did the same for you if you're saved. It was when you were in that position, in that status, that he came into your life and he radically transformed and saved you. If you're trying to get right with God on your own merits, on what you're going to do, I'm going to tell you, friend... You're going to hit a brick wall every time. You're going to be in that category of people who Jesus is going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. And you're going to say, whoa, 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 Jesus, but I went to church, but Jesus, I did all these works. And Jesus is going to repeat and he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Why? Because it's not on what you do. It's one on he does and he alone. Amen. My friend, listen, that is so crucial. Don't misunderstand that point. Because too many people are trying. And listen, Christian, if you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, listen, it's not about and dependent upon your work either. Amen? You serve God, why do you serve God? Because that is after your salvation, what do you say? In Ephesians 2.10, that is the work that God has prepared beforehand for you to do, right? That is what you're supposed to be walking in. That's how you flesh out and walk out your Christian journey. is by doing what God has willed for you to do in his lifetime or in your lifetime that he has given to you. But it's not about earning salvation. I'm not up here preaching this morning saying, well, God's going to be so good with me. Matter of fact, I was praying yesterday in the car. I was running home from a wedding. and I was praying in the car and I was saying, Lord, I don't know why you would even want to use me on Sunday to preach the gospel. Why would you even want to use me of all people? I'm I'm not dedicated sometimes, Lord. Sometimes I fail you. sometimes I don't do the right thing. Sometimes I cut people off. Sometimes I want to give a Hawaiian salute to somebody. Sometimes I have an evil thought coming to my heart and my mind. God, why would you use me? God reminds me, Mike, I use a donkey." And he talked, and if I can use that, I can use you. Amen. Amen. And I'm going to tell you, my friend, I'm here by the grace of God. Doing what God has called me to do, not because it's necessary I like it every day, because there's some days I don't like it. But it's like Jeremiah, there's a fire in the bones, and you got to do it because God won't let you do anything else, Tim. You hear me? If, you, if you're called to minister, God won't let you do anything else. I beg Him, God, let me go do something else. God said, No, you're not going to do anything else. This is what you're going to do. Why does He do that? Why is He doing that in our life? Because, listen, it's His life, not mine. Why? Because he redeemed it. There's nothing I do. I can't stand here and preach to redeem my life. And when I think about redemption and I begin to think about the fact that he would save me, I can't help but think about last, the third point, and it's this. We're gonna wind down towards the Lord's Supper is the price of redemption. What did it cost? I don't know if you ever heard anything by old Puritans, but I came across this quote by Puritan Thomas Watson Listen to what he says. He says, and I quote him, Great great was the work of creation, but greater the work of redemption. It cost more to redeem us than to make us. In the one there was but the speaking of a word, in the other the shedding of blood. The creation was but the work of God's fingers. Redemption was the work of his arm. Think about that. God spoke into existence all that we see that God would take and use his very Son, make him a human, to go to a cross to die for us. Notice how Peter says it. Look at in verse 19. We were redeemed by the aimless conduct received by the tradition of our fathers, but by the precious blood of Christ. Notice he says, a lamb without blemish and without spot. Of course, I think Peter is thinking back to that time in Exodus chapter 12, where God said to the nation of Israel, I'm going to deliver you from the hand of Pharaoh. He had 10 plagues that he sent upon the land, and the night before the 10th plague, God gave this command He told him to go and kill a lamb. And they were to take that lamb, and they were to eat all of it in the house. And they were to take the blood of that lamb. And you remember what they were supposed to do? They were supposed to take that blood and catch it in a basin. And they were to take the hyssop branch, and they were to take the hyssop and dip it in the blood. And then they were supposed to put the blood on the door. And God said, this night I'm going to send forth a death angel. He's going to go through all of Egypt, even Goshen, where... The children of Israel were. <clears throat> and he said, If I see the blood, if I see the blood, I'll pass over. That's where they get Passover from. The Jews still celebrate Passover today. God told them to do so because you remember when he gave the command in Exodus, he said that it would be a perpetual celebration for generations to come. And so when we begin to think about what Peter is saying, what Peter is saying to us is Jesus is our Passover lamb. That is two things that you need to write down, two things that are so crucial. Number one, when we think about redemption price, is the fact that it was a sacrificial death. Do you realize, and we said it throughout Christmas, but it's good to hear again, do you realize that Jesus came as God's plan A, to die. As a matter of fact, do you realize that in God's mind, that when God even spoke the world into existence, it was already a done deal? Do you realize that the Bible says that before the creation of the world, God redeemed you? Do you realize that God knew that Jesus would come at the right time, at the right place to go and die at the right time, at the right place on Golgotha's Hill, on Calvary, for your sin and for mine, that he would indeed be the sacrificial lamb, that he would actually be the sacrifice himself? What father loves that much? I don't know of any. And Jesus, Peter says, was this spotless, blameless lamb. See, the second thing you need to know is not only was he the sacrifice, listen, this is so crucial. He's a substitutionary sacrifice. You know what that means, right? He died for you in your place. So preacher, I don't understand that. Well, listen, here's what Peter says. Peter says Jesus was without sin. In, 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 <laughs> In, in theological circles, we call that impeccability. It means he he had an impossibility of sinning because he's God. So Jesus is impeccable. He, he could not sin. And, and so Jesus, the spotless lamb of God, was the perfect sacrifice for us. The only sacrifice that God would accept for us. But the problem is you and I, we're not impeccable. That is, you and I are prone to, sin. That would be peccability. We, we, we are sinners. And because we're sinners, we could not please God. We could not be right with God. So someone had to die who was perfect. And so Jesus was that spotless lamb. You don't understand, right? What I'm trying to say is they would take that little lamb before Passover and they would inspect it. As a matter of fact, if you go back and read the Exodus account, it said they would inspect this lamb for imperfections. And then, you know, what they would do with that little lamb. I mean, this would be so hard for my wife to do, but, but they, for that little lamb, they say, bring that little lamb in the house. And you would protect that little lamb and you, that little lamb would live in the house with you. Why? Because you didn't want anything to happen to that perfect little lamb. Why? Because it was going to be your sacrifice for Passover. And that little lamb would live in the house with you. I could not imagine Marina on that day, me saying, okay, today's sacrificial day. You know, we'd have some cutesy little name for it. You know, so-and-so has got to go to the slaughter, (laughs) you know, can you imagine though, the children living in that house, helping raise this little lamb for the day of sacrifice. But they understood. Steve, that's what this was for. Jesus, listen, Jesus was in God's house. He left the house and he came to earth. And he came to earth to go to a cross. And he came to the earth to go to a cross to die where you should have died. You should have been nailed there. All, all that you have done, you should have been nailed there but he would take that for us. Why? Because he is the perfect lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. No other will God receive. No other will God accept. I don't know how else to say it, friend, than to just say it. If you're trusting in something other than Jesus this morning, you're going to bust hell wide open because Jesus is the only way. And I'm going to tell you, when I wasn't looking for him, he found me. He came to me. He came to me through a family that I started dating their daughter and they lived Jesus before me and they talked about Jesus to me and they did a whole lot of praying for me. I know my mother-in-law, she listens to this. She prayed I'd leave, get out of her daughter's life. (laughs) Marina prayed that I'd come to know Jesus. And let me tell you, God honored her prayers and I came to know the Lord. But listen, do you know him? Do you know him? Paul says of him, he was made, that is God made him who knew no sin, listen, to become sin for us. Do you understand what that means? That, that doesn't mean Jesus sinned. It means he became sin. He He became what was punished on the cross. Do you realize we sang the song? Do you realize when we read in Isaiah what God did to him, right? God put that sin, your sin upon him and God crushed him. We read all the way back when God told Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and sacrifice him. We look at that story and we sort of say, you know how in the world Could a father do such a thing? Oh, well, God spared Isaac that day. He said, oh, no, no, Abraham, don't do it. Now I know, now I know that you trust me. But on Calvary's cross, the knife came down. Amen? And the darkness fell upon that day. And Jesus would cry in agony, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And let me understand, you understand, right? Jesus wasn't murdered that that Jesus, the Bible says, yelled out and what? Gave up his spirit. He died willingly in your place. That's what we celebrate at the Lord's table this morning. And so here's the invitation as we come to the Lord's table. It's twofold. Number one, for some of you, to celebrate the Lord's table means that you surrender to the call of God on your life to come to Christ. You're sitting there and you're kind of confounded. You're saying, you know, I've come to this church and I've listened to preachers and maybe you're new to our fellowship and you've been coming just a short period of time. You're saying, you know, I've listened to sermons, but inside me somehow today, it's different. Today, there seems to be an illumination. Today, there there seems to be a drawing to, to this God who loved me through Jesus. I'm here to tell you, it's the work of the Spirit of God. Only He can bring you to the brink of realizing your sin and trusting the Savior. For some of us this morning, the invitation is simply this. It means that we examine ourselves. It means that we look back at our day of redemption and we look back over our life specifically even more related to the few days past. And we say, Lord, is there any relationship that is tarnished that I've hurt? Is there any sin that I'm harboring in my heart? God, is there any way in me right now, in this moment, before I partake of this supper, is there anything here, Lord, that you want to chip away and take out of my life? See, that's not about making yourself. When Paul says, come in a worthy manner, that is not about making yourself worthy to come to the table. We're not talking about that this morning. What we're talking about is, do we see the elements as the worthy sacrifice of Christ? That is, when I look at that, I don't go, Lord, I want to confess this sin, so I'm right with you in order that I can be worthy to go to the table because we're never worthy to go to the table. We're still just redeemed sinners. But what I do is I say, Lord, I want to come to the table inspecting myself, examining myself, giving my heart totally in dedication to you. Why? Because you suffered so much for me. I never wanna to come to the table lightly. I never wanna to come to the table just flippantly. Well, that time again It's once a quarter. We have the Lord's Supper. Let's just throw it out there. No, I wanna to come to the table. Doing what Peter said, go back. He says to us in verse 13, I want to gird up the loins of my mind. I want to be sober. I want to rest fully on the hope that the grace that has been brought to us through Jesus Christ and at the revelation of his coming. I want to be an obedient child. I want to come not conforming myself to the way I used to live, but being what he has made me to be today. I want to come, listen, holy, holy before the Lord. And if I'm going to call him Father, and if he is by his grace without partiality called me to be his child, then I want to rest in that grace and trust in that power this morning when I come to this table. That's what we're talking about this morning. You know, as I say that, I always have to remind myself of this old song. It's me, it's me, O oh Lord who stands in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, who stands in the need of prayer. See, the truth of the matter is, I had someone not too long ago say, I'm afraid pastor's gonna judge me. And I said, you know, the reality is I judge no man. I judge no woman. I don't have the authority to judge But what I will say is this, I'm a sinner passing through. And I realize, David, that as I pass through, there's some fumblings. (laughs) I trip and I fall and I stumble. But times like this morning, give me the opportunity not to look and to judge my brothers and sisters and say, I wish they'd get it together. But for me to look at the mirror of my own heart and look in the mirror of the word and say, God, do a work in Mike Foreman. Do something in me. You started the good work. December of 1984. Yahweh, you perfect it today. Then I come. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.